Next, is sugar okay in moderation or does it cause inflammation? This one I'm just tired of. So this idea that like sugar is inflammatory. Our body produces sugar. If we don't eat sugar, our body will produce it. So we don't die. If we have none, we die. And so if it's inflammatory, like this, this makes no sense. Yes, if our sugar is too high for too long, that's a problem. But that's only going to happen if your metabolism is dysfunctional. So having a little bit of sugar in moderation through fruits, especially through fruits, have as much as you want through fruits, but like even added sugars in moderation, it's not that big of a deal. If it's within the context of a healthy diet that's meeting your energy needs, that's not, you know, over in calories. Now, if you're having ice cream every night and that causes you to overeat and you're gaining weight over time, that's not a good thing, but that's not just sugar. And so having a little bit of sugar as a part of your diet, a little bit of added sugar as a part of your diet, as long as you're eating within your energy needs and you're eating a nutritious diet, not something to worry about. Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez, and in this episode, we're going to do another Q&A podcast. So I collected questions through my social media, through my Instagram. If you're not following me there, I recommend following me there. If you use Instagram, if not, no worries. Don't recommend getting on the app. It's it's a cluster of a lot of bad information and small pockets of decent information. And so I have done some Q&As through my stories there and have taken some of the questions that I've gotten frequently, and I'm going to discuss that here. So I've done a podcast two episodes ago. If you didn't listen to that one, I recommend checking it out. So two episodes ago. We did the Q&A episode number one. We talked about the blue zones because that's something that's popular. That's not something that I would normally discuss on a normal episode. So that's the things that could be good for this Q&A is going to be things like that. Things that are popular in the media, how to choose higher quality carbohydrates. That was another one that I get questions about a lot. People like the simple tip I've given around that. And then what I think about the term food is medicine, high HDO and low LDL cholesterol. That's a popular thing among low carb groups and then and then red 40 and adhd what is the connection there or artificial colorings in adhd is there a connection there so i recommend checking out that episode if you want to listen to uh, my opinion on some of these topics these are going to be less in-depth and more just me giving a take on the topic as opposed to me pulling out a bunch of data i will sometimes cite research in the show notes but i'm not going to pull out a whole bunch of data for these episodes, because that would be very, very time consuming. So I want to go ahead and get into the episode. I want to make sure that this is valuable and succinct. I don't like listening to really long podcasts, so I try to make these short and to the point, and I hope you guys appreciate that. That's, I get a lot of good feedback about that, so I want to keep it that way. First question is what to do if you have a digestive issue. Uh, the reason that I get asked this question is because I have worked with people with digestive issues in my one-to-one -one client work the last several years. That's been mostly what I've done with my one-to-one -one clients is digestive issues, IBS, IBD, some diverticulitis, some unexplained GI issues. Sometimes it's hard to put a label to some of these things. So if you have a digestive issue, oftentimes food is going to play a role. But the first thing you want to do is you want to get properly assessed through a GI doctor. So sometimes that's difficult depending on where you live, depending on your access to medical care. But it is really essential if you're dealing with chronic digestive issues to get an assessment if you can't, um, because that can rule out some serious things that may be going on. And if you have, let's say, for example, something a little bit more serious, 
and you start trying to make nutritional changes and add in supplements and things like that, you could worsen it. So I always recommend to rule out anything first, get a proper assessment of what might be going on through a GI doctor. And then, because oftentimes the GI doctor is not going to be able to provide much guidance on nutrition. And when it comes to digestive issues, nutrition is probably the most important thing, depending on the issue. I'm just saying generally, now there are very many cases where nutrition's either not important or doesn't matter at all, or doesn't play that big of a role. But overall, when someone's dealing with a, di a digestive issue, the thing that can have the biggest impact on symptoms and on overall disease course over time is nutritional changes. And for many people, say, for example, someone who has IBS, they're bloated after meals. Um, many of those people will benefit from what's called a low FODMAP diet. Someone who has GERD, for example, gastroesophageal reflux or heartburn, those individuals can often benefit from like a low acid diet. And there's a lot of variations, a lot of nuances to this. I, I would have to create an entire podcast and talk about this for episode after episode after episode after episode to really get into the nuances about nutrition and digestive issues, because there's a lot going on. There. You have your, your immune system that's largely located underneath a single layer of cells in your gut. You have your digestive intestinal wall that's incredibly important because it's protecting your immune system from all the microbes and, and undigested proteins that are in your intestinal tract. And then you have your microbiome, which is a vast network of microbes that live inside of our gut that digest our food and create hormones and, and do a lot of other important functions in our body. And that's really, really complicated. So there's a lot of gut health experts online, unfortunately, that if you're looking for nutritional help, may not lead you in the right direction. My recommendation would be to try to find someone who is really well-versed on this topic. You want probably for them to be able to see them creating content and describing uh, your health condition and describing it well, understanding how it works, maybe having some educational content around how it works, or you want to get a good referral from someone you know or from, a, from your GI doctor, if you can, to work with a nutritionist. Because if you have an RD, a registered dietitian, or someone else who has a high level of expertise in this topic, helping you, oftentimes this is going to be the, the, the most benefits that you're going to be able to achieve with your GI issues is going to be through nutrition. So get the proper help if you can. First, get properly screened, understand what's going on. You can do your own personal reading and research as well, but that that's difficult. These things are really complicated, unfortunately, as, as you heard me just start to describe. And then when you look at like inflammatory bowel disease, there's certain issues that may be going on. There's certain foods like lower residue diet, like sometimes they get, you need to eat lower fiber. There's a lot going on. And there's a, so much nuance to digestive issues that trying to do it on your own, oftentimes it's, it's going to lead to a lot of headache. It's going to help you to find a professional to help you streamline that process. So highly recommend going that route if you have a digestive issue, if you can. I will tag a couple of accounts that I can recommend that talk about digestive issues in the show notes through Instagram. I don't know of any other like popular websites or books that really outline this in a way that I would trust. And this is something that I've thought about quite a bit. This is something that I probably want to educate a lot more about quite a bit, but I don't have the bandwidth for it right now. And and I would like to just pull in the right sources in, a, in order to be able to provide the right information because 
you can really benefit. Many people can really benefit with the right nutritional approach. If you're dealing with the digestive issue and, and oftentimes people are just not getting guidance from their medical doctor, and then they end up going to like functional medicine doctors and naturopaths and other alternative health practitioners. And oftentimes those people are um, just giving them really restrictive diets and putting them on generic supplement protocols and they don't understand what they're doing. So I don't recommend going that route, the functional alternative holistic medicine route. If, if you find someone who is, who educates on the topic, who seems really science-based, who's extremely well-versed in nutrition, it may, that may be, you know, a practitioner who operates under one of those terms or under one of those credentials may be a really high quality person and may be extremely helpful for you. But in general, in working with lots and lots of people with these issues, I see a lot of these practitioners are just putting people on very generic restrictive diets. And oftentimes just the, the, their primary method of improvement is more restrictive with the diet because they don't actually understand nutrition well enough to understand how to properly personalize the diet. So they just say, take out this, take out that, take out gluten, take out dairy, take out seed oils, take out this. And then they leave people on extremely restrictive diets, not feeling that much better. I've seen this multiple times, like dozens of times. So highly recommend being very diligent about, or being very selective if you do choose to go that route. Next question. Uh, is drinking cow's milk harmful to your health? The answer to this generally is no. So the evidence research of individuals who consume dairy, cow's milk, any type of dairy, it shows that there's generally a slightly positive effect on heart disease risk and a slightly positive or neutral effect on risk of death over time. The randomized controlled trials that have been done that have given people milk, there's no increase in inflammation that is often claimed. It's actually the opposite in most cases. There's no, you know, insulin resistance or hormones that are occurring. None of this stuff is happening. There's a lot of myths around milk because it's just one of those foods that has gotten demonized. So when a food gets demonized for whatever reason by the alternative wellness side of, of nutrition, they will just make up stories about why that food is harmful to health. And at the end of the day, we want to look at what happens when people eat this food. In general, people, it, it's a good source of protein and calcium and, and other nutrients. And in general, people who consume these foods, especially fermented dairy, yogurt, other, you know, kefir or kefir, I don't know how to say that properly. I think it's the second one. But fermented dairy is associated with positive health outcomes consistently across the board. And so, you know, when we look at dairy products, there's a lot of myths online. There's a lot of myths in various books and things saying they're inflammatory, saying they're harmful to health. They're not. Now, there's another side of the coin, and this is where a lot of the myths come from, is that a lot of people can have reactions to the proteins in dairy or the lactose. And so many people cannot tolerate you know, certain amounts of dairy. So if you have like, so for example, lots of people, because there's a lot of lactose in a milk, a lot of people can't drink a glass of milk without having a little bit of GI discomfort. Now we can become more lactose uh, tolerant by eating more lactose because what will happen is our microbiome will shift a little bit 
and we'll produce more lactase enzyme and we'll be able to break that lactose down a little bit better if we eat a little bit more over time. There's multiple studies that have shown this, but I mean, it's, it's not going to completely restore your ability to eat it, but you can go for lactose-free options, low lactose options. There's options that aren't going to have like dairy options that are going to still allow you to get the proteins and get the nutrients, the calcium and the B vitamins and other nutrients without the lactose. And so if you're lactose intolerant, you can avoid that. And lactose intolerance can be common. And, and it's not a, th it's not a, you are or aren't, it's a threshold. It's how much you can tolerate. So most people can tolerate, even people who are classified as like lactose intolerant, uh, they can still classify or they can still, in most cases, uh, tolerate small amounts. So when it comes to dairy and health, there's some people that won't tolerate it because of lactose intolerance and they can just eat smaller amounts of the lactose or have lactose-free options. And then there's other individuals who, who will have a reaction to the protein. So they'll have like an allergic response to the proteins in the milk. And this is much less common. This is five, 10% of the population, if that. And these individuals would probably do better just avoiding it. And this is hard to determine. This requires elimination and reintroduction to see how your body responds to removal and reintroduction of the milk or the dairy products, but there can be various reactions from digestive issues to, to, you know, skin issues and other uh, immune type issues because the proteins in dairy can, can activate like immune responses. So proteins in any food can do that. Dairy are one of the more common immune triggers. And so a small percentage of people will have a response to the whey or the casein proteins in dairy, and for those people, it may be best to avoid. But for the vast majority of people, for the 95% of the rest of the population, consuming dairy and having milk and other dairy sources is not harmful to health. There's, like I said, there's a lot of myths around this. They're mostly exaggerated. Next, is sugar okay in moderation or does it cause inflammation? This one I'm just tired of. So this idea that like sugar is inflammatory. Our body produces sugar. If we don't eat sugar, our body will produce it. So we don't die. If we have none, we die. And so if it's inflammatory, like this, this makes no sense. Yes. If our sugar is too high for too long, that's a problem, but that's only going to happen if your metabolism is dysfunctional. So having a little bit of sugar in moderation through fruits, especially through fruits, have as much as you want through fruits, but like even added sugars in moderation, is not that big of a deal. Um, if it's within the context of a healthy diet, that's meeting your energy needs, that's not, you know, over in calories. Now, if you're having ice cream every night and that causes you to overeat and you're gaining weight over time, that's not a good thing, but that's not just sugar. And so having a little bit of sugar as a part of your diet, a little bit of added sugar as a part of your diet, as long as you're eating within your energy needs and you're eating a nutritious diet, not something to worry about. This is all of the, the misinformation on social media around sugar is just exaggerated. You know, our, our body needs sugar. And again, even and I've done a whole episode on this. I'll link to it about glucose spikes. Glucose is going to go up after you eat a meal. That's not, a, that's not harming our body. It's only harming our body when it stays elevated for very long periods of time. And that's also because our metabolism cannot handle the amount of glucose that we're consuming. And that's the issue. Our, our metabolism can't handle the amount of carbohydrates and calories that we're consuming. Not that you're having increases after your meal. So again, I'll, I'll link to that episode. Highly recommend checking that out. But yes, sugar is okay in moderation. It does not cause inflammation. Next, MLM supplements. This is a important topic. So I get asked questions about, you know, what about Herbalife? What about this MLM supplement? You know, there's so many of them. Isogenics and 
the reality is that MLM supplements are pretty much all substantially overpriced. And this is because the way that these MLM systems work is they are paying out so much commissions to the various lines of people who are getting paid out on the product that you purchase. So if you purchase a product, the upline, the multiple people who were involved in recruiting the other people and getting you to purchase the product all get a cut off of that product. And so you're paying oftentimes, I'll sell a protein powder for $90 that, that would cost $40 at, you know, at, on Amazon. And so you're paying a massive upcharge. And then they tell you you're getting a discount when you join, you start selling, but the discount is still an overpriced product. And none of these products are high quality. These, these companies, they don't operate based on, hey, we have the highest quality products on the market. They operate on, hey, we are going to put so many salespeople on the ground that we're going to be able to push these products in front of everybody and we're going to be able to sell high volume because we have salespeople everywhere. That's a different strategy than putting out the highest, pro highest quality product so people want to purchase it. There's a completely different strategy there. And so they're producing low quality products and blasting it out to you through all of your friends and trying to get you to buy into these things. And oftentimes, if you follow, you know, the, the restrictive diet plans that they sometimes provide with some of their supplements, you'll like lose weight in the short term. And then you feel, you know, they, they often sell you on the potential to make a lot of money. Some people do make a lot of money if you get in early and you're a sales shark. But for the vast majority of people, you're just going to be spending money on overpriced supplements. Do not recommend MLM supplements ever. This is, they, like I said, some of the lowest quality products for some of the highest prices. Do not recommend. All right, so the last thing that I want to discuss is an article that was published in the Washington Post. It was probably a couple of weeks ago now when this is published, but this article was discussing how dietitians accept the money from food industries to promote processed foods. So that's kind of how the headline was established. And throughout the article, it was profiling how dietitians accept the money from like the American Beverage Association to talk about the safety of artificial sweeteners. And they were making this seem like dietitians on social media are all paid by big food industries. The reality is that these dietitians would have been posting about this regardless because the IARC, which is, I'm not going to get into all the details right now, but Basically, there was a classification, aspartame was classified as a, as a class two carcinogen by the IARC. Now, this is one classification system. Other classification systems currently still recognize aspartame as being safe for human consumption. The class two classification by the IARC is that that indicates that it can possibly cause cancer based on evidence from lab animals. So when they make this classification, it's based on you know very weak evidence. They, they're not trying to say, hey, this causes cancer. This is just saying, hey, this might possibly cause cancer, this specific type of cancer, if consumed in high doses in lab animals. So we just want to be a little bit careful with it. And the headlines made it seem like this was just you know, something that everyone needs to avoid now. And so these dietitians, and I actually made a post on this, but I didn't get paid for it. But these other dietitians were paid by the American Beverage Institute for making a post on something that they would have made a post on anyway, because I know these people, or I know some of them. And they would have been making a post on this anyway, because people are in an uproar, thinking that they can't have their Diet Coke because of this change in classification, when the change in classification really wasn't that serious. So they got paid for that. And then this, basically, the Washington Post, this, this author took that and turned it into an article saying that dietitians on social media are paid. 
I got sent this dozens and dozens of times. You probably have heard of it. That's why I'm bringing it up. And I got asked about it multiple times uh, because I think it's going to be helpful to understand. Like these, these dietitians, for the most part, now there's some bad actors, but for the most part, they're operating with integrity when, when they're doing this. Yes, it looks a little bit shady, but they're also educating on social media and not getting paid for it because they're not promoting supplements like these other influencers. So yeah, this got picked up by a lot of influencers and, you know, a lot of like wellness influencers and they were bringing it up saying, Hey, you can't trust dietitians and these other people. They're being paid by the, by the food industry. And it's so funny because all these people have a hundred or, you know, a dozen links of supplements that they sell and products that they sell. And, and other things that they're promoting to their audience that they're making money from that is influencing the information that they're giving out, which is bad anyway. So giving out bad information, influencing people to purchase products that they don't need, and then turning around and, and trying to discredit professionals. This is the part that bothered me. Now, there are some bad actors who are dietitians on social media, potentially. Definitely, I've seen some, but for the most part, the professionals on social media are the ones you want to be following not the other people. And so that's that's the part that people will take this and twist this and try to use this to discredit professionals when unfortunately on social media right now, the largest health and nutrition accounts are people who don't have a background in health and nutrition, unfortunately. So this is only helping to continue to foster that environment. And I don't think we need to continue to go in that direction. So that's all I have for this episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed this Q&A episode was at least interesting and helpful and uh, informative in a way. If you like the Q&A episodes, let me know on my social media. You can send me a DM or, or make a comment on one of my posts or you know reach directly out to me. I'd like to hear about these episodes. I want to know if you guys like them and if I should keep doing them. I think they're helpful. It's just kind of get to go in and kind of discuss a topic more so rather than have a more structured type of episode. So let me know if you like them. Hope you all have a great week and we will talk soon.